Romans 1, 16 is where we're going to start today. Paul did this in his life. He never changed. He shared the gospel whenever and wherever it was possible. In other words, when opportunities arose to share Jesus or the good news, he shared. And we know this, that that was a main thing of his life and really should be something that never vanishes in ours. So Romans 1.16, this is Paul talking about himself. And we know Paul shared the gospel, didn't matter where he was, what the situation, there wasn't a bad place to share the gospel. Though today, people will tell you there are bad places, but there really aren't. Notice this Romans 1.16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile, the non-Jewish or non-covenant person. So Paul made some interesting statements right here. He said, one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He knew the value of it. He didn't care if the world wanted him to be shamed. Because the world will shame you for things you should not be ashamed about. And they'll shame you for not accepting things that you should be ashamed about. We know before the Lord comes, the world will love evil and hate good. And they'll say evil is good and good is evil. We just need to know that before we get out on the streets because we'll be out there And people will say, you should accept this, you should accept that. And we already know when we get out there, if we read the book, that there are going to be people saying, it's okay to live this way, it's okay to do this. And they're not only going to say it's okay, they're going to say it's right. And then they're not only going to say it's right, they're going to demand you accept it and agree with them. You with me? And I am not going to agree. But what you need to recognize is this. We can still love them. We can still be patient with them. We can still be kind. Because God is. That went over well. (laughs) Loving somebody, being patient with them, and being kind with them does not mean I'm compromising my values. It doesn't. I mean, think how long-suffering the Lord is with the whole earth. The Bible tells us the reason why the Lord hasn't come back is He is long-suffering, not wanting anybody to perish. Does that mean His values are changing? Does that mean the standard of life is changing? No, He's just super patient, and He's expecting us, the church, to share the good news, to help build people up. And so He's depending on us, but at the same time, There's a world out there that's doing their own thing. And you have to remember this. Before you knew the Lord, you were doing your own thing. Somebody shared when you were not in a good place. So we don't want to close the door on people, but we do know this, that if we're going to really do God's thing, one area of life that we need to be aware of is that we should share our faith. We should. I I said we should share our faith. We should not be afraid 
or ashamed. And, and the world, though, does want us to be shamed. Don't, I mean, it's wicked and evil in its roots if you don't know it's devilish and motivated by the devil all this don't talk about Jesus business. Communism is wicked and totally of the devil. And we even see our country in a younger generation saying socialism and communism would be fine and great. But what they don't realize is the free speech they're using is based on not that. They take away freedom of speech and then they don't let you hear about the Lord. That has to be motivated by the devil where you get whole countries like Vietnam or the former Soviet Union locked up and it's not legal to share Jesus. That has to be motivated by the wicked one. Why? Because then those people don't get to hear the truth, which is the power of God that can give them salvation. And so now they live in a country where they can't hear. That can't be God. That can't be God. He cares too much about people. There's, there can, that's, there's nothing God in that. You with me? And so here he said, and we'll read it again, For I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, or we know him as the Savior, Jesus, for it is the power of God. He tells you right here what the power of God is to salvation. And he said the key that makes it work is sharing it, but then somebody believing in it. So you could say it like this. This is the key to that. The good news is the key to the salvation or the need of man. You know, in our day and age, we need to be aware of the word of God. Jesus said this, before the end comes, he said, deception will abound. It's the greatest warning to humanity is be careful of deception. He, I mean, first thing, they said, what's going to be the sign of your coming, your return? Deception. Now, we talk about the earthquakes, we talk about the famine, we talk about the different kind of lifestyles and all the kind of stuff going on, but he said deception will be a huge factor in the last days. And you know what I find interesting is we have to be careful as believers that we really stick to the truth and don't just say catchy phrases, things like this. You don't need to say words, you need to just live your life. Win them through your life, not words. Now, I believe in living a right life, but nobody's going to get saved by you living a right life. Because there's no scriptures that say if you live a right life, you'll be saved. Years back when I was in California, I, I knew of a police officer, a highway patrolman. He was not saved, not walking for the Lord. And he worked on a stretch of highway that, you know, went from Southern California to Northern California. I believe it was the five freeway, one of the main arteries. And uh, he, he knew the gospel, but his life was not right. 
But he was a, what we'd call a first responder, and so when there would be accidents on the road, and some of them could be pretty rough, he would be the first one there, and he would make people move back. And if he saw somebody was in the dire need, and they, he thought they were going to die, he'd make sure people got back, moved them back, and he'd share the gospel with them. And he would lead people to the Lord, and he wasn't even saved. People didn't get saved by his life. They got saved by the gospel. He recognized the value. Later on, he accepted the Lord. <clears throat> but at that time, he was sharing the gospel. It's the gospel that is the power of God. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not an invitation to do whatever you want to. Oh, I feel so much better now. All I have to do is share the gospel. No. But we should live. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. But what's interesting, he said, the gospel is where the power of God becomes active unto salvation. Now, we know this. The good news is not just about receiving the Lord. For the believer, it's many other things, too. But, if you will, turn with me to Acts 24, looking at Paul's life. And so what I find interesting here is Paul recognized, even in the face of all kinds of opposition, that when I share this good news, God works. The power is in the gospel. Now, you understand this. The power for a car to start is in the battery. <clears throat> but there need to be other components connected to it to make it work. In other words, the gospel is in this book. But if it's never connected to humanity, and they don't connect by or turn the switch by believing, though there's power They'll never know it personally. God depends, this is what's so wild, God depends on you and me to reach people. <clears throat> That's pretty wild. He's dependent on us to reach people. He gave us the word and he depends on us. And you know, there are people, because they just, I don't know, maybe they haven't looked, they think, oh, God... God doesn't need me. I need God, but God doesn't need me. No, absolutely wrong. You need God, that's right, but God needs you too. He needs everybody. There is no, well, all right, come on, I don't need you, but... And people think that. Well, he's just putting up with me. God doesn't need me. He needs those five over there, but he doesn't need me. That is so not true. God needs you, and he needs those people in the world. Why? Because he set it up for his plan to work based on the cooperation of his people. He put gifts in people, <clears throat> put talents in people, and depends on them to do certain things so he can work through them. God does not work apart from man. God works with man. He made it that way. Which to me is fascinating. That means that me and you are God's connection to the world in some way. And he's depending on me and you to connect with them through his message. Because he has no other connecting point. Isn't it interesting? 
Cornelius, a guy in the book of Acts, loved, loved the Lord, but he was not saved. He did his best. He, he gave in the offering. He would pray. God saw his heart and sent an angel to him and saw what he was doing and knew he loved God but wasn't saved and wasn't in a real relationship with him. So he sent an angel to Cornelius and said, Go down to the city, Joppa, and you'll find a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. He said, Go get him, bring him to you, and he will tell you words. The gospel is words. He said words by which you and your whole house can be saved. Why didn't he say, hey, Mr. Angel, you're right here. You tell me. This would be good. I mean, how many of you would like that? Hey, Mr. Angel, you're right here. Go ahead and preach. I'll just sit down. This is nice. I don't have angels appear to me often. At this point, we don't know if ever he had anything like this, or he ever did again. But he goes and gets him, and sends people, and gets his whole family together. And when he comes, uh, he talks about how you're going to share words by which we can be saved. In other words, you tell us, we're going to believe. Isn't it fascinating God sent an angel but didn't use the angel to preach the gospel. Why? He commissioned man. That's why man is responsible for the lost world, not God. I know that'll bug people from now till I say my next statement. Then something else will bug somebody. But the fact of the matter is, why? Because God has already done something for all of humanity. He already died for everybody, didn't he? And he already rose again from the dead for everybody. So now he's already done his part. Now he'll work with us when we do our part. And so our part is sharing his powerful gospel. And whenever you share his gospel, he will work with you. You just need to understand that. Why? Because, you know, you're not doing it on your own. And there is power there. And we do need to share. And we do need to do certain things and recognize he's invested power and he will work with his word. How many of you will agree with somebody when they say something about you that's not true, not right? Will you back them up? No way. But if, you, if they say, hey, they said they would do this and do this, and so they're sharing with this person over here, and you're right there, and they look at you, and you go, yep, I'll do that exact thing. You'll get involved with that. Why? Because it's in agreement with what you've said or what you believe in. And so the same thing's true with us. When we share the gospel... If we share the gospel, God will get involved with it because it's true to his nature, true to what he wants, and he'll back it. You know, I used to pull that with my parents. Hey, can I go to the movies? Well, what did your dad say? I already knew what he said. That's why I came to talk to you. I wanted a different answer. 
In other words, we're to repeat what God said. He'll back us up. You with me? Notice this in Acts 24. Acts, the 24th chapter. This is Paul's life. Remember I said wherever and whenever. You could be on an airplane. It can be a neighbor. You should pray for your friends. Pray for the people you know for opportunities. <clears throat> but Acts 24 uh, verse, we'll start in verse 24. Paul is in prison right here, and uh, he's on his way to Rome uh, to be tried for his faith, really. And verse 24, and after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, and these were, you know, big shots in the government, it says, who was Jewish, his wife was, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Well, Paul had a name and a reputation at this point. And so there were times that when he would get thrown in jail for his faith and for preaching where he was not supposed to, or things would get so stirred up, crowds would go wild and some would be for him and some would be against, he'd get arrested. So his name had gotten so big I mean, I don't know if it would have been like maybe like Billy Graham or something. When he gets thrown into prison, there's people that are interested in the leaders. They maybe weren't going to go to his meeting, but they would go get private meetings with him. And they'd want to hear what he had to say. And so here is one of those meetings. And so he shared with them concerning the faith in Christ. Notice verse 25. Now as he reasoned, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, Go away from me for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He's just sitting there telling him the gospel, sharing his faith, sharing the truth. This leader that wants to hear it, all of a sudden is afraid. King James said he was trembling. I mean, here you've got this leader who could have people's heads cut off. He's sitting there shaking just at a message about what? About Jesus, but he hit these subjects, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Why are those so important to the gospel? Why is righteousness, why is self-control and the judgment to come so important to the gospel, the good news? Because one, the judgment to come, everybody will stand before the Lord. And everybody will give an account for their life. Whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not. So when you share the good news, somebody says, that's not good news. <clears throat> then you recognize, uh-oh, I'm going to stand before God. Because when life is busy, there are a lot of things you overlook. And people overlook this fact that everybody in the future will, at some point, there's no way out of it, everybody will stand before God and give an account for their own life, period. That's it. And so he reasoned with them about righteousness, though, and self-control. 
We know this, when you start talking to the world and different people, they, by nature, are sinners. They're compelled from within to want to do wrong. And so you start talking to them about it. And how many people have tried to live right on their own and tried to be accepted before God and tried to do right? And they just knew inside, I'm still not measuring up to the standard of good enough. I just know it inside. And it's interesting, he talks about these things and then he said righteousness, but he started with that. What does it mean to be righteous? If you have a religious idea, you think righteousness is how good you are based on how hard you work. And if you work enough, I'm righteous. You know, we had a, we had a, a music group years back called the Righteous Brothers. And we don't know if they were righteous or not. And back in the day, you know, when something was really back in the day, <clears throat> back some days back when you saw something that was really cool people would say that's righteous is it and we've got all kinds of ideas of what righteous is but from a bible standpoint righteousness is a standard of being good enough perfect enough clean enough to stand accepted before God. That's what righteousness is. And we know from the Old Testament that there is nobody righteous, nobody good enough. So if you're preaching this to the world, nobody's good enough. <laughs> no self-control. There's a judgment. Huh. Then what? This is not to get people afraid only. God doesn't want people to stay in that state. He wants them to come to know him. But this puts them in a good position to know the answer of righteousness, the answer of self-control, and the answer of the judgment to come. What is the answer? Anybody who receives Jesus gets the gift of righteousness. He sets them right. They're right not by their own works, they're right and clean because of Jesus dying and rising from the dead. The Bible said he was delivered up for your offenses, what made you unright. And, but it said he was raised up to justify or declare you righteous. So when he was offered up, when he died, he did it for our wrongdoing. But the reason he rose was to declare people right. Not by their own works, but by accepting Jesus. Jesus is the answer and was the only answer to his problem. When somebody receives Jesus, they get set free from sin. Self-control becomes a fruit of the Spirit. And when we go to stand before the Lord, you remember that scripture that a lot of people know, perfect love casts out all fear? Anybody know that? Go back and read that someday in, in, in the epistle of John. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about when somebody accepts the love of God, Jesus, there will be no fear in the day of judgment. Perfect love should cast out all fear. When you know you've received the gift, when you get there someday, and when you live here, you should have no fear about the judgment. It should drive off all fear. I'm in good standing. I'm clean through Jesus. When I get there, and I have an ability to live free today. 
But here's the interesting thing. We share this, but what we need to know is this. God works with us. Let's look at this verse before we close here in John's Gospel in the 16th chapter. And we'll see that Paul, when he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, he was actually sharing the Gospel, but leaning hard on God to work with him. You with me? He was leaning strong, relying big on God to work with him. Because like I said earlier, if I'm trying to get somebody to do something and I'm talking about you and say, hey, they'll do this and they'll do this, and if you're sitting there and it's in agreement with you, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, and you're going to back it up. But if it's not in agreement, you're not going to back it up. So Paul knew these things. What's so fascinating to me is we don't have a lot of times when Paul gave uh, messages where people were convicted about their need of salvation. There's just a couple times, but it's interesting that he gives this detail. It should give us a clue when we share with people. Notice this in, in John 16. Jesus is leaving. He said, I'm going to be departing, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And like I helped you on the earth, he's now going to help you here on the earth. I'm going to be gone, but he's going to go with you, and he's going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to do all kinds of things. And he gives explanations here of what he'll do for you when you share the gospel to the lost and what he'll do for them, and then what he'll do for you as a believer. Notice this. John 16, uh, we'll start in verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, and this is Jesus speaking, it is to your advantage that I go away. People stumble at that. But it is to our advantage. We have an advantage now that the Lord is gone. He said, for if I do not go away, the helper, so the Holy Spirit, he now is calling a helper. He's not called the do-it-all, and he's not called the one who just sits there and does nothing. He's the helper. So it would be good to know how he'll help, right? You ever tried to get somebody to help you, and they're like, well, I don't do that. I don't do that kind of stuff, you know? I, I do a lot of different things, but when it comes to the youth room and doing some of the work in there, when we got to the electrical, I'll do it for myself, but on a larger scale, uh-uh. I won't. I just won't do it. Well, then find out what I will do, and then I can do that. We need to find out what he will do, and we can rely hard on him to help us in these areas. Notice this. He said, the helper, uh, but he said, if I don't depart, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, once he's here, he will convict the world of sin. He will convict. We know what a convict is. It's the same wording, isn't it? You know what a convict is guilty. He's one in prison. He's got a sentence. He's been declared. And he said he will convict 
or declare. To who? who? Who did he say he would do this to? To the Christian? God is not in the business of declaring you guilty as a believer. He's in the business of causing you to know, and he'll teach you that you are right. The world, he will convict. He'll make them, if the gospel is preached, feel like a convict. What is a convict? One that's guilty. And there is no way out of it except through Jesus. Because he already paid for it. God doesn't want people to stay in that state. He gave us a narrow door for them to go through. And the Bible said Jesus is the door. And he said if anybody would go through Jesus, they would come in. They would get salvation. And so it's narrow, but he made the way of escape. But he'll convict them so that they can go, yeah, I know I've got to go through that door. I've got to receive Jesus. And it said when he has come, verse 8, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Wait a minute. Doesn't that kind of sound like self-control, righteousness, and the judgment to come? Why do people have issues with sin? They don't have self-control. They don't have a new nature. But in Christ, you get it. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And then it says, but he will convict them of sin because they do not believe on me, verse 9, of righteousness because I go to my Father. In other words, he's made the way. And, and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, Satan cannot control them anymore. Uh, now we give account to God. But you notice those three things are there, and he will convict. No wonder Paul brought these things up to the world. Because he knew he would convict them because he knew they needed to know they're not in good shape. They need the Savior. He knew this life was bigger than today. He knew it had to do with eternity. He knew that you can get caught up in life. You can get super busy and just think, well, you know, I'll, someday I'll be old. And someday, how many know that day gets closer and closer all the time? And for some people, they don't get to that day. And so we need to know this. When he said this is what he'll do to the world, just for the sake of us that are believers here, let's read the very next verse or verses after. Um, it says this, verse 12, when he changes the subject, I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. In other words, you're not ready to hear him yet. But however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Goes on to say what he'll do for the believer. It's different than what he does for the world. Now, does it mean we shouldn't think anything of sin and live however? No. But the fact of the matter is, he's not declaring us guilty the Spirit is trying to reveal that you got the gift, you've received Jesus, you're in right standing, live accordingly. You with me? And so we need to realize this. If we would be honest with people and talk with them and say, you know, there is a judgment. It's not all about this life. There are, and, and, and explain some things to them. You can bring them here, they'd hear the gospel. 
or you can share the gospel with them. But I know this, when people come close to their mortality, they start evaluating life. You ever gone through life and not thought about anything and then somebody dies, and, but you knew them and they were close to you? And you went to their funeral, it starts making you think. It's kind of like we hear about shootings and school shootings and different things like that and bombs. And we're like, oh, that's bad, that's bad. But you get one blow up next to you and it starts changing your perception about things. And you're like, whoa, bomb, bullet flew by. You start thinking different. And here's the thing. The world without the gospel will not realize that there are bombs blowing up near them, bullets flying by them, so to speak. It's always way over there. But if they're given the opportunity to hear the good news, God will work on them. He will convict them. He'll work on them. Why? Because he wants them to feel guilty? Yes. But does he want them to stay that way? No. He wants them to receive the free gift that washes it all away, that makes somebody in right standing, that gives them self-control, that makes them realize, man, I can go to heaven, and when I do go, it's a different time. We get judged for what we do and get rewards or not. They go to hell. What a huge difference. And so it is important for us to recognize these things. You with me? Now, remember, I was talking to lost people. We need to recognize that. I think it's dangerous when we go to the world and say, oh, you're full of worry. What you need to do is cast your care on the Lord. No. No, they need to get saved. Oh, what you need is seven principles. You're, you're going broke. You need these seven principles about sowing and reaping and giving to the Lord. No, they're going to hell. He's not going to teach them that way. He's going to convict them. You meet a believer who's full of worry? Say, listen, you should get this truth down about casting your cares on the Lord. God will help them, teach them. We just need to recognize there's different avenues by reaching different people.